You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Conversations for Change podcast. I am Dolphin Casper, and today I'm really excited to be welcoming Brandon Samarpan Anand Buckalter to the show. Uh, I met uh, Brandon a few years ago now here in Edmonton, and uh, he's based down in the States. And he brings a really interesting combination of knowledge and uh, expertise and passion to the work he does. Uh, we're going to get into all of that. And, and the, the, the main thrust behind his work is the, the mixing and matching and uh, sort of weaving of both chiropractic and uh, yoga philosophy and, and uh, practice. So he is both uh, just about to finish his residency as a chiropractor uh, down in Florida or, uh, no, sorry, California. Yep, California. Uh, da- yeah. Down in California. And he also is a 500 hour certified teacher, uh, in yoga. And so, you know, he brings these two very beautiful, longstanding, uh, traditions of health and wholeness and well being, and, uh, is doing some really cool stuff on Instagram and part of his background, which I find interesting, but not surprising is that, uh, Brandon broke his back twice when he was 16 involved in some competitive martial arts and suffered some pretty debilitating pain and, and uh, just non-function for a number of years. And I have no doubt that uh, he brings a lot of the, the depth and passion for his work from his direct experience with not having a body that worked properly. So excited to have Brandon on the program and uh, we're going to get into all sorts of different things around meditation, yoga, mindfulness, uh, movement, mobility, and overall wellness. So Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dolphin. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for welcoming me into uh, into your community, into your home. And um, yeah, it's just an amazing time to connect, a very unique time, if you will. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, like you bring up in the home, because so much of these conversations is happening in our homes, a lot of people that do professional work and whether they're in, you know, conference rooms or professional practice uh, spaces that now we're very literally inviting each other into our homes as we engage in these conversations. So I like that. And it gives it a, a different flavor. I actually feel like some of my relationships have shifted in meaningful ways because there's more of a personal connection that wasn't there before because we are in our home base spaces interacting with each other. So I think that's an interesting piece of kind of a, uh, yeah, maybe an unintended benefit of the, of the isolation that's happening. Yeah. It's it's definitely a little insight into a more intimate space. You know, I can see in your room, I see like your plants and your guitar and, um, yeah, I think everyone's a little bit more comfortable to be themselves possibly in different ways in their homes. It's, uh, yeah, I personally have been not wearing many clothes and I've been spending a lot of time just uh, doing whatever I want. So, you know, there's that take as well, a little bit more freedom, if you will. Yeah, I mean, what would you say about uh, routines and and maybe the, the, the transition out of just a highly doing oriented culture, Western culture is so much about doing and achieving and having and, and that for a lot of people, there's been this semi forced shift of rhythm to slowing down to maybe being more present and mindful to what we're doing and, and even more important to why we're doing what we're doing. So what would you say about what you notice about that or maybe the, the, 
the implications of being stressed and busy versus slowing down and, and maybe doing less. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's like kind of the analogy I think of is just the person that keeps pushing the boulder up the hill. I'm not sure. I think it's Atlas or, you know, there's some Greek mythological figure and um, it's that constant pushing and that constant struggle that we don't, we kind of put that task on ourselves, which is that we perpetually have something to do. We perpetually have people to please and obligations to uphold. And even I've just noticed because I'm, I'm back in my hometown where I'm based out of Pensacola, Florida right now. It's like this little beach town. And I recognized that every time I had been home, I had inadvertently distracted myself from whatever it was I was really supposed to sit with during that time. And whether it was being fully present with my family and then knowing that I was going to hang out with my friends later or vice versa, or just like, there's like, you know, that term FOMO, the fear of missing out. I feel like this is the first time that there is a literal lack of FOMO for some people. And that's really kind of been a, a defining characteristic of the millennial generation, at least. That's just been like, there's always something to occupy your attention, your time, your energy. And for people to have the brakes just put on like very hard. And then the confrontation of not just what happens whenever I'm not busy, but what happens whenever I'm confronted with the reality of my health status, with my daily routines being altered, um, the things that I always had an excuse not to do, now there's no excuse, so why didn't I really do those things? All those questions really come up, and especially if you're put into a situation where you're intimately stuck in a space with people that you would normally have breaks from, <laughs> whether that's your family, your spouse, your children, you know, it's just, um, I think that all of the shadow work that a lot of people have maybe subconsciously or totally consciously been putting off is, you know, making its way to the forefront of people's reality, whether they wanted it to or not. Yeah, amazing. And, and I think for some people, they're getting a chance to see the fruit of that labor, so to speak, you know, like for some people who, who've really been digging and, and coming to things honestly, uh, they may be noticing like, oh, I thought this would be much harder than it's been. I've had those mm -hmm. conversations and for sure, other people are, are starting to recognize that the, the sweeping of things under the carpet uh, is, is not a real solution and, and they're having to maybe face uh, some of what they haven't cultivated, whether, whether it's in themselves, in their relationships. Um, that, that whole mental well-being piece, I'm curious if you could bring uh, your sense of what makes, um, you know, you've chosen to blend yoga and, and chiropractic together, or at least that's my sense of, of watching some of your videos and interacting with you online. Uh, why those two and what do you think they have to say about some of the difficulties that we're having in our present day society. Mm. I think that inherently nothing standing alone stands to benefit you fully. Um, I think that everything is inherently better off integrated with other things because no one is totally fulfilled by one system, by one ideology, by one concept that kind of keeps them just like in this one lane. And um, I think especially when it comes to the body, it's just our bodies are constantly adapting, always evolving, always continuing to listen to what's happening and activating different responses accordingly. 
And so whenever you think about not only the practice of yoga as a self-guided meditation practice that is a movement journey, that is a spiritual practice, but there is the understanding of the deeper layers of what's going on in this physical reality, which is what are my actual limitations physically? What are my the traumas that have been either appearing in my body through the emotional transference from an energetic level into a physical, through the actual trauma of maybe breaking your back like I did, or actually going through the process of recognizing that the lifestyle habits and the, the daily rituals that you kind of just either fell into or were taught by your parents or taught by your society, that they're actually not serving you. And there was never a point where you kind of got so uncomfortable to where you actually had to question that reality and question like, is this system really fulfilling me fully? What could I integrate on top of this or mix into it that would actually enhance the benefits of whatever exists already within this system or completely substitute it and replace it with something that's new, ingenuitive, and actually listens to the nourishment that like I'm really craving instead of just falling into these habitual patterns of like, feeding that subconscious desire to like oh i did i sweat today oh that was good that meant i needed that it's like not necessarily some of the easiest things and the smallest tweaks of your joints and the movements can actually be the most nourishing they don't take much energy it's just consistent input and so for you when you look at yoga and chiropractic uh you know the, the chiropractic to me is a, is a no-brainer in terms of your background, like to, to have experienced breaking your back and to have all sorts of challenges uh, that, that directly influenced your life on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's easy for me to see why someone would want to go into chiropractic and see like, how do you work with the body? How do you work with the bones and the soft tissues and, and to do that in a more holistic way. Um, and what, where, where did yoga come in there? Where did, where did your affinity and your draw to, to follow that path come from? Uh, it came from realizing that chiropractic could only get me so far. Um, the thing that I try to convey to my patients now, by my patients, I mean the patients I've been treating in the clinic um, at my school, which is kind of the last year of, of chiropractic school. It's like an in-school residency, if you will. And, um, you know, you get to actually put all the concepts to work. And so for me, what happened was I I herniated a disc, I fractured a vertebra and a wrestling injury. And I was, you know, you can get adjusted, you can get massages, you can get all the fancy modalities, the therapies, the lasers, the shockwaves. But the thing is, is that I, you know, me being a practitioner or soon to be practitioner, there is a very small amount of time that I actually have my hands on you that I'm actually sitting with you in the appointment itself. It might be one hour per week. It might be three hours per week, but it's like, it's very limited compared to the like 160 something hours that is encompassed in a week itself. And then multiply that times months and years and et cetera. So, you know, really what I think is the most legitimate way to convey what healthcare is, is that, you know, doctor and its Latin roots means teacher. And I, I don't know if you know Duncan Trussell, but uh, he's, he's got his own podcast. He's got the Midnight Gospel show that just came out. And I've been listening to him speak to different influential leaders in spirituality. And one of the things he said is that there's no difference between a healer and a teacher. And I think that because 
to heal is to really teach someone about themselves and to teach is actually innately healing because it innately reveals something that would better your life. So therefore it heals you in some capacity. And so um, whenever I reached the limitations to what my chiropractor could do for me in the office setting, and you know, I couldn't just continue to receive passive modalities, that's when the active care component takes um, its course. And that's whenever I realized that I had hit the point where I needed to take responsibility for my wellness, to take measures every single day to make sure that like, I'm actually sending a consistent message to myself that I'm serious about me getting better. And these things that I'm learning through the practice of yoga and meditation and wellness, they're only going to be enhanced by the amount of consistency and dedication that I bring to it. And so um, it got to a point where I just realized that, you know, the, the baton had been handed over to me again and I couldn't just permanently rely on someone being my external walking, talking aspirin bottle that would just crack me back into place. Um, you know, a real doctor, a real teacher will nudge you in the right direction, will, will be the catalyst for the enzymes and the products and things that are already there and ready to react. But it's your responsibility to follow through. And so um, I think that just with these spiritual practices, yoga, meditation, they, they always find you in the weirdest way. They might have been whispering for you for a long time or even shouting at you at times. And there might have been resistance. But once you actually commit yourself to a daily practice, whether it's this really big intense thing every morning or something you do sporadically throughout the day, that's whenever you realize that you are the creator of your own experience. You're the creator and the facilitator and the orchestrator of the bodily functions that you have going on. And I like the, the one word, if I could just summarize my whole treatment plan, my whole philosophy is just consistency. Um, your body is just always listening, always. It's just like it never stops listening. Every time you touch anything, every time you eat something, every time you speak to someone, your, your genetic code is actually shifting and altering. And there's science that is now revealing that to us. So what happens whenever you reveal that everything you do is changing the makeup of your entire body, your neurology, your immune system. Um, it's just, you start to realize that like you are the responsible one to, to take care and, and monitor the progress of whatever that is. And it's either going down one route or it's going down the other. And you have the conscious decision at any time to shift the momentum one way or the other. Yeah. And, and I love what you're saying and, and what it, for me is shining light on is in a way we could look at sort of the movement towards health and well-being on, on some kind of graph where you have these acute sort of outside in um, methodologies or, or, or medical applications that, that are someone doing something to you to address something in you. And that could be anything from a broken bone to a kind of uh, sickness to a disease, uh, skin condition, whatever it is. And then there's the outside, the, the inside out of like, how are you in the condition you have? And what are you doing in the midst of the condition you have in a way that either activates or doesn't activate your own system's natural ability to heal? And then you talked about the word, you used the word passive. It's like when, when you're passive and someone is, giving medicine to you. I'm not even saying there's not a place for that. 
I'm just saying that, and you referenced it as well, you are the one that's there 24 hours a day. You are the one that's there seven days a week making choices about what you're doing and being in the midst of your body. And, and what I love about where science has gotten to at this point is that we now know that it's not just what we do, but why and how we do what we do that makes a massive difference to our well-being. In other words, if I do all the things that I think are good for me, and all the while I'm totally stressed out that it's going to go badly for me, my, my medical and health outcomes are going to be negative. That's how powerful belief is, how, how powerful our way of being is. So I just, I love that. I love, I love all of that stuff. And I think the question that comes to me is what, what, uh, what about the current circumstance of, of this, you know, flu illness disease? And I don't even know where you sit on the spectrum. I've, I've heard it all. I've been reading, I've been a part of some really interesting conversations in the last couple of months, but um, you know, what do you have to say about uh well-being when it comes to uh, taking care of a, a real or a potential threat to to our well-being like what what would you recommend to, to clients that are coming to you and saying hey like how do I boost my immune system how do I stay vital in this time when uh, there appears to be a, 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 a rate an increased threat to to my well-being yeah I, I think um, those are all great points and it's funny that you mentioned just this spectrum of the stances right now because it really is all over the board there's the pandemic side which is this is a complete conspiracy versus like you know what Fauci and them are saying about you know this is just a health crisis and I'm sure there's a little bit of both in between who knows you know like um, it's just there's so much information out there Um, I think that what I've had to tell myself over and over again and what I would tell anybody is that control what you can control you know, there, there's nothing outside of like your home, let's just say, if, if you are quarantined and self-isolating and everything that you actually have any control over. And that's just the theme of our life, regardless of a pandemic or not. Like we get so wrapped up in what we can't control. And we, we literally just spend a lifetime worrying about the variables that are uncontrollable variables. And so whenever it comes to boosting immunity, to fortifying your body, whether it's just biomechanically or just on a more systematic way of like supporting your immune system or your digestion, it's always going to come back to what are you eating? How are you moving? What are your thoughts and how are your emotions? All of those things are going to overlap and influence all those things because stress is exacerbated by your mental and your emotional perception of whatever stimulus is coming in. And stress is stored on a cellular level and it affects every part of your body. They're like, you'll get gastric ulcers. And like, if you have too much stress because you'll start to have a more acidic environment in your body, there's so many examples that I could give of just stress being the sole factor as to why you are feeling this way. And it's like, whenever I have people come in for treatment um, in the clinic at school, I, I tell them, I'm just like, all right, we can do all the fancy back cracks and the cupping and the Graston and all the stuff, but where are you at in your perception of your life? Like, do you have a means of checking in with yourself to make sure that, you know, the the best question you can continue to ask yourself is in what way am I resisting what is right now? Like that's my favorite check-in question for myself because anytime I feel even a minute little 
like flavor of anxiety or concern, I take a breath and I check back in with what am I resisting right now? What can I control right now that I can possibly manipulate and change and adapt to in order for this situation to be more comfortable and more harmonious with me in the state that I'm trying to manifest right now, which is peace, calm, serenity, and surrender. And so when it comes down to this whole situation, I think that if you have had a lifestyle that has been leading you down a path where you are innately not supporting your body, this is the time to check yourself. If you are finding yourself in a, I'm an immunocompromised state, whether that is something that you've been diagnosed with previously that medical doctors have said is incurable, or you have a genetic predisposition or whatever, there are always variables that you can control. And like I said, if you can eat whole foods that are organic, that are well-balanced, and you know how to kind of proportion the vegetables, fruits, meat if you eat it, and the different variables of like the fiber and the vitamins and minerals, and then you supplement that with healthy movement that is nourishing for your body to maintain your joints, you are doing so much for yourself that it is beyond the, I can cite every study in the world and it wouldn't matter because that, that would just be the two things you need to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you sprinkle in the mindfulness practices because that just makes it like the cherry on top of the sundae. And then you bring in just different things that you genuinely enjoy because now you're operating from a state in which you are adaptable, you're healthy, you're fortified, and you are giving yourself all the things that you need in order to give you like the baseline functionality to your body. And then from there you can thrive. So, I mean, that, that's all awesome. And, and, and I love it. And I'm just nodding my head outwardly and inwardly. And I know that in spite of the fact that most people really do know that what you're saying is true, mm. still most people don't do what you're saying. And it, it just reminds me of like how many people go to physiotherapy and they do the exercises for a few weeks with their physiotherapist. They get the homework and they don't do their homework. Mm -hmm. You know, like this will allow you to fully recover from this injury or this, <laughs> you know, issue. Yeah. Just do these four times a week and right. people don't. And, and same deal. It's like you have whatever you have a weight issue you have cancer you have a, 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 a compromised immune system make these lifestyle changes and a few people will most people actually will slip back into their old lifestyle so i'm just curious your take on why we struggle to do the things we actually know are good for us and then maybe what your approach is to supporting people in, in that kind of change. Cause that's, that's a big deal. Like to empower people for that kind of change makes a real difference. Sure. I mean, honestly, uh, I think first for me being a teacher provider, all those things, uh, the first thing I think is that if you're going to be the bearer of a message of any of those kinds that you need to be walking the talk yourself. I would never, ever, ever, ever ask any of my patients or my students or anybody to do anything that I'm not already doing myself or am willing to do. If someone's beyond me and their physical health, like I'll push them, but just letting them know, like I've never, these are unchattered waters for me, but I will give it to you because you're ready for it. So that's why every day I wake up, I meditate, 
I do my yoga, I eat healthy, I move myself, I'm a good person. Those are my things that I can always say like, hey, you should move yourself, you should do this and blah, 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 because I'm doing it. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe in it. So there's like that authenticity on behalf of the person giving you that information. Then you need to decide like one of the things that I'm in a health promotion class and we talk about the decision making, like there's these different steps of implementing change. And there's people that are contemplative, they're pre-contemplative, they are ready to take action, they're fulfilling their action, and then they're maintaining. And as a provider, you need to be able to look at these people and your patients coming in, your students coming in, whatever it is, and be able to assess where they are on that, on some psychological gradient, you know? Because otherwise, if, if you try to throw something in the, like, that's ready for, like, an action stage, like, hey, tomorrow I'm giving you a three-day-a-week program that's going to be getting you this, this, and this, and, like, this is how you're going to do it, this many sets, and they're still in the pre-contemplative stage, which is meaning, like, the idea of exercising hasn't even entered into their realm. They just have maybe heard the words work and out, and they've never combined them. Um, that's, like, you need to be able to be aware of that. You need to meet people where they are. So if you're trying to be a motivator, if you're trying to be someone who's influencing people in a healthy way, like that's first and foremost. But on behalf of the person receiving that information, if I were to be a patient, which I have been my whole life in some way, shape or form or a student, which is same, um, I would go ahead and say that basically you need to figure out what are your intrinsic motivators because there's intrinsic and, and, and extrinsic motivating factors extrinsic maybe being like that job that you wanted that you know the car that you're trying to buy or like the girlfriend or boyfriend that you want to have or what husband or whatever and then there's the intrinsic which means like i want to feel this way i want to know that i i can fulfill a task and i have you know these values that i'm adding to my spectrum of my awareness that can actually enhance myself and then for some people it just has to come down to like how like what's your what what kind of quality of life do you want you know for me i just didn't have a choice and i still don't have a choice i i when i was 16 years old and i i broke my back twice and then when i was 18 years old i had a near-death experience where i fell on a skateboard going 30 miles per hour cracked my skull open blood in six places in my brain lost my sense of smell and taste my short-term memory my inner monologue I had to like start totally over and I pray for people that don't see that sometimes the universe has to slap you that hard for you to be able to get on track with what it is that you need to be doing. And for me, like I needed that. And unfortunately yet fortunately, cause I think it's a miracle no matter what happens um, it, that, that needed to happen to me. So there's going to be that point where it's like, okay, you know, you might not see the direct, you know, repercussions of your eating a bag of Doritos every single day right now. But when you're 40 years old, 50 years old, and you have atherosclerosis, and you're so unhealthy that you can barely walk and you're immobile and your pain is just through the roof because you have an inflammatory lifestyle. Like that's unfortunately where some people are. And I've been uh, working at my dad's clinic uh, he's got a multidisciplinary clinic where it's medical doctors, chiropractors, PTs, all that. And people that go to see him have had three failed back surgeries, are overweight, are diabetic. 
And it's like these people that have been living, I, like I'm seeing the 50 year progression of an unhealthy lifestyle. And it's kind of like that scare you straight. Like, I don't know if we need to bring all the healthy ish people into clinics where people are debilitated in a dialysis and in the hospitals for them to get it. But it's like the reality sometimes either has to find you, you have to decide on your, your own to be like proactive instead of reactive, which is really what the holistic model is all about. Um, because the medical model is reactive in nature, you know, they are specific and like, there's a lot of value to it. Like I'm in no way going to devalue the Western medical system because there's a lot of amazing things that have come out of it, but it is inherently reactive because they see health as a status of lacking disease. And by like in nature, by saying that, that it's like, it's defined by the presence or absence of disease means that that's the number one defining factor of health versus the holistic nature of like looking at a person and their ability to adapt your ability to maintain homeostasis of an internal environment that's naturally imbalanced. That's health. And that's what I feel like chiropractic and the holistic side of things really specializes in is like we're professionals and, and experts in understanding health. Whereas more on the Western side of things, it's like they're an expert at disease. They understand the disease matrix, the different mycoplasm pneumoniae and all those things that essentially they can combat with their prescription pharmacological agents. But what does it leave you whenever there's no disease? Is there guidance? Is there support? Is it very clear? Because I've been in these appointments with these medical doctors and these people are severely overweight. And they're telling them to go home and take, they can take up to 3000 milligrams of Tylenol to stay comfortable. And I was like, okay, like we close the door, we walk out and I have a discussion with them. I'm like, um, when were you going to mention supplements? When were you going to talk about their weight? When were you going to ask them about their health, like their food? Like, have, they, have you ever thought of a food journal, like for them to write it down and then, then bring it back to you. And they look into all the variables as to how much water are you drinking? Like when, when does your pain start? Was it after your meal? Is it always after your meal? Why is that? You know, you start to become the Sherlock Holmes if you really care about these people and start to look for those little trace details that can actually lead you to a real potent diagnosis that leads you to somewhere that's like beyond than just like sending them out comfortable. They should be thriving by the time they're done with your care, you know, or at least on track to do so given the right tools and education and information. Yeah, and, and there's there's I mean there's a lot to say about the 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 Western medical model of of health and well being, and and I, I agree with you. There's certain things I'm so grateful for and appreciate about that model and what it's able to do. You know, like if if I have an acute injury, if something very sh like intense and sh and unexpected happens to my physical system and I may not make it otherwise, I am so glad that. You know, I live in a place where down the road, there's a bunch of people that are trained with the right equipment to, to you know, allow me to survive or to allow me to, ha to walk again or whatever it is. Mm. And it's deeply clear that it's not designed to uh, create and, and maintain that kind of vitality and well-being that you're talking about. And, and I think there's lots of reasons for that. And, and maybe that's a, a conversation for another podcast that we can get into. Uh, what I'm more interested in is like when I was younger, I got into sports at a young age. I loved sport. 
I was, you know, naturally athletic. And, and so I was good at it. And then I went through a period where I, I, I stepped away from sport. There were some reasons for that. Um, but then I got back into it in my twenties and I went hard. So for eight or nine years, I was training or competing for most of the year. And I pushed really hard and, and I remember at one point I was playing varsity volleyball. Uh, I was in college and I was playing some volleyball at a relatively high level. And the, the pre-game warm-up included three uh, uh, extra strength ibuprofen. We, we called it vitamin I. Wow. And that was how we you know, played the game without the distraction or the, the kind of hindrance of joint pain and, and other kinds of pain that we were dealing with because we were just banging our bodies and working out and training and, and not in a, in a kind of listening rhythm with what does the body need and how can it be at its highest performance. And my, my 30s were fairly inactive and, and mostly involved me getting to all of these little injuries and, and sort of degraded aspects of my body uh, that, that I know was from my twenties and just kicking the crap out of my body because I wanted to win and I wanted to be the best. And, and, and what I also know is that I kind of knew I was wrecking my body and some people talked to me about it, but I didn't have a person. And this is sort of for me, uh, where I want to go with the conversations. I didn't have a person that I knew respected and trusted enough to listen to that kind of feedback. Like, Hey, dolphin, have you thought about what 40 and 50 is going to be like in your body with what you're currently doing to it? You know, and, and to, to start to invite me to be more honest about what are you going for here and how can you make that happen without it being, uh, you know, something you have to pay for for the rest of your life. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about um, how we have those conversations with people so they can really get it and, and uh, yeah, any, any, any experiences you've had on either side of that conversation? Yeah, I think, uh, I think what's really important to recognize is that everyone's, if they have moved or not moved or played sport or not, there's something in someone's body, typically, it'd be like 99.9% .9 of the time that they are uncomfortable because of. I think it's very rare to find someone that's completely pain-free, discomfort-free, has a perfect digestion, especially after the age of like 18 going on like into your 20s because, you know, you've got 20 years under your belt. You've been doing things a certain way. And what happens is that your body innately will develop compensatory mechanisms because of the way that you're doing things. And that's going back to the whole thing that your body is always listening. We are inherently asymmetrical. We're right-hand dominant or left-hand dominant. Very few people are actually capable of using both sides equally. So that carries down into your legs. We're right-leg dominant, left-leg dominant. We're right-sided brain. We're left-sided brain. Like There's these asymmetries that are always present. And so what I try to kind of convey to people on a joint-by-joint -joint level is that there are restrictions in motion that will occur because of your lack of exploring the entire fullness of every range of motion in every joint. And so whenever you don't explore where you need to be able to go in the case of either an emergency or because of like your ability just to perform in your sport or your daily activities, 
you will lose that ability to be there safely if you don't continue to navigate into that territory. And it's funny because every time I end up talking about the body, it just sounds like this big metaphor for life, which is just inherently how everything is. But it's like, if you don't push up against your comfort zone, you'll never be able to be uncomfortably comfortable. And so whenever I start to see people that are like, even just slightly just getting to that point where like you sound like you were, where it was like someone noticed was like, Hey man, you're, you're kind of going hard. Um, you need to be able like as a practitioner, cause like if, if you, if you aren't being approached by the right person in the right way, you're not going to hear them. And um, you need to find like, hopefully you'll attract or you will find that person that you will relate to. And that's what I'm essentially trying to continue to amplify my ability to be relatable is that I have suffered an insane amount of pain in my life. I've also been that person that was incredibly athletic and strong and felt indestructible. I've also been the person and currently am of that, like the nature of I am constantly trying to be comfortable in my body. And so it's always about trying to figure out what it is that person is motivated by and not to scare them into submission of just like giving up their things that they love to do, but giving them things that are easily incorporated into their daily life and finding a way for them to realize the value of that without it being something that's overbearing and just like, oh, I'll never do that. I'm just going to throw that out right whenever I get home kind of thing. And that's why the creation of Clara Yoga has come to be, which really is just my practice that I'm just sharing with people because it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's the movement journey, but it's also the mobility practices. And that's like something that people, I don't think really understand what mobility means and what it means to me and like what some of my peers might agree upon is that there is flexibility, which usually tends to be the hyper focus in, in yoga, which is like, can you touch your toes? Can you do this? But your flexibility is usually related to your passive range of motion. So there's, there's two motions in your body with every joint. It's your passive range and your active. Your passive would be me lifting your, head, your foot up to your head. Your active would be you lifting it up to your head. And there's always going to be a slight discrepancy between the two of them because inherently you usually don't have active control beyond like the normal reach of your muscle because usually contraction occurs and things get in the way and but that that little zone of vulnerability that occurs between the passive and the active is where you are neurologically incapable of navigating safely and so whenever you find yourself in this zone whether it's through activity like where you're running and you kind of do a little split on accident and you need to re-engage within this zone or you go beyond the passive range and you actually tear the structure that's where your injury happens and so what you need to be able to do is prepare for the curveballs that life throws at you and if i were to go back to 20 year old dolphin and i say hey man you look like a total stud you're playing your volleyball all that stuff but one day you might land sideways on your ankle with your foot completely inverted, what's going to happen? Have you trained in an inverted position? Have you ever explored that part of your range of motion? Because every time we visit an area within our range that we normally don't go to, we start to send the signal to our body that, hey, you remember this place? Okay, you probably don't because we've never been here, but we're coming back again tomorrow. So your body's like, oh, damn, 
I probably should fortify this area a little bit more because I'm going to continue to revisit that. And what happens is whenever you have a daily mobility practice, which is the control over the range of flexibility that you have, you start to build up resilience at the end ranges of your range of motion. Therefore, you are starting to at least build in a buffer to where if you were to end up by accident, at least you've visited it enough to where your body is familiar and it has like fortified that tissue to where it's less likely or less uh, severely damaged. And so you can find those things, metaphorically speaking, in every aspect of yourself. Where am I mentally not used to going? Okay, can I visit there again? Can I get resilient in that place in my mental and emotional health? Okay, now that I've been here, now I have a new end range. I have a new capacity and a new barrier that I am now butting up against. And I'm constantly finding the end ranges of myself and trying to continue to bump up against them because you only grow at the edge of your comfort zone. You only become resilient at the comfort zone edges by continually visiting them. And then you find exactly where you need to go in order to continue to expand your capacity to emotionally feel, to psychologically calm yourself down, to physically explore. And everyone can relate to at least one of those things in that mix. No one is completely balanced, healthy, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, communally, physically. And I feel like that one of my specialties is finding people's end ranges and taking them there. Whether it's in my clinical setting where I'm treating you, I'm noticing the end range of your ankle, or if it's like emotionally where I'm taking you into the Amazon rainforest on one of my retreats and I'm like, we're camping out in the middle of the Amazon, like, and, and there's spiders and stuff everywhere. There's always an end range to be explored. And just your willingness to find that and be comfortable there is up to every individual to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up to every individual. And it's clear to me, we play this role for each other of, you know, inviting <laughs> we're naturally inviting people into what our life is. You know, you, you mentioned you, as a teacher, as an educator, as a doctor, um, whatever you're going to ask your clients or participants to step into, it's important actually that you're walking that. It, 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 it means you represent the invitation instead of it being just some nice idea that you read in a book somewhere. And, and that makes you more trustworthy if you've walked it and you're saying, hey, come along. And, and I know that that's inherent in us as human beings. And I also know we can explicitly do it. We can say, hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Cairo yoga guy and here's what I'm up to and here's why. And, and if you want to join me, like check it out. This is how I live, uh, which I love. And what that also points to is that there is a relational component to change. And, and I, I, I mean that across the board, even if there's no external person there while the change is going on there's something relational in us that has to shift for that change to come through mm. and then also obviously in the interpersonal space um, how do we this is a question I've asked myself after years of working with people some people that want to change and want support and help and I've also spent a bunch of time working with people that actually want nothing to do with me or the help I have to offer and so I've had to figure out like interesting and creative ways to I used to say I would trick people into the change they want. And what I mean by that is that we have conditioned preferences and then we have innate desires 
to, to fulfill a kind of purpose of being in a body on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the innate desire is always there under the surface. And it might be covered by a whole bunch of other stuff that, that's at odds with, with the expression of that innate desire. Mm-hmm. So the, to me, the innate desire is like a baby that learns to stand and walk. That's not a personally constructed idea of, yeah, it'll be better for me when I stand up and walk. That's like in, in the, 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 the viscera, in the bones of that baby, there's a knowing that this is the trajectory, this is the direction I'm moving in. And, and so for me, my job to support other people in change is about reconnecting with that desire to, to live from the inside out. And, and for me, you know, like I watched that video you recently shared on Instagram, which is like a morning mobility routine and that, that I felt excited about it. It felt like, um, some of the things that I'm working with in my body were going to be taken care of by that that offering, that piece that you shared. So I'm for sure going to be, be doing it. I told, told you I would, but I, I guess I'm, I'm curious what you would say to people who, who are just in that kind of transition from, from pre-contemplative to contemplative, like the, these ideas that maybe have been there all along, but we haven't been paying attention are starting to register and we're going, Oh yeah, my knee or, Oh yeah, my weight or, Oh yeah, my, you know, my lungs, my sense of well being. Um, what would you say about the initial steps into a different lifestyle to support people? Yeah, I think uh, you kind of innately address some of these things that are really interesting that uh, kind of parallel with, with some of the concepts that I'm exploring currently within the anatomical and healing realm of things, which is like babies have an innate desire to be a certain way and they're kind of gearing themselves up for that. We all have some sort of, karmic duty if you will or your dharma that you're trying to fulfill and then there's the alignment of of those factors with the external world's expectations of you and um i think that an analogy that i'm trying to work on with with explaining to people with as far as taking on a teacher as far as taking on a guide is first of all if if you're ready to to make change find somebody that has already done all the changes that you want and are trying to aim at accomplishing and reach out to them and see if there's any way that they offer coaching or training or classes or lectures or workshops or anything, because there's a lot of false prophets, if you will, on the the spectrum of Instagram and Facebook and social media and YouTube and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the process of finding who is it that's going to guide me, you need to be able to recognize that there is a trail of life, right? And you are the beginning of the trail. And then there's the mountaintop, which everyone's trying to get to. There are people that are right beside you that are starting the trail right where you are. And they are there to try to convince you that they're going to get you to the top. Like they have already been there and they have it. And it's up to your discernment to be able to figure that out. But then there's those people that are slightly ahead of you that can get you up to that point. And then you can kind of go from there and try to find those incremental leaders that lead you to the top. And then there's people that have literally been to the top of the mountain, have been chilling there for quite a while, and they are willing to walk all the way back to the beginning of the path and guide you up to the top. So it's really important to recognize whenever there are teachers that have been to the top or are farther ahead along than you, 
because that's going to save you so much trouble. And I'm doing that right now by taking on mentors, by doing this internship over in, in Los Angeles coming up here soon as my postdoctorate study and trying to avoid the pitfalls of making mistakes by learning from people that have already made them and hopefully save me the trouble of going through that process myself. So find someone that can guide you. Know what you're actually literally willing to do every day. Because if you don't do something every day, then it honestly doesn't matter. And it's like, I understand that people are like, oh, maybe baby steps. Baby steps every day. Like for me, that, that's the most important thing. Because again, if consistency is literally the language that you use to communicate to your body, what is the languaging that you're deciding to say whenever you do something once a week? It's definitely not the same language as if you were to say it every day, multiple times per day. So decide on what things you will willingly do every day, and then you can sprinkle in the more hardcore stuff along that maybe three or four times a week in order to kind of feel like you're really pushing yourself certain days, but find those consistent inputs that you're willing to do and will never stop doing. Mm. And then once you're comfortable in that process, knowing that it takes roughly 30 days neurologically speaking for you to develop a habit so starting to sit down with yourself and looking at all of the habits that you have already formed all the behaviors all the lifestyles that you live and try to systematically look at a pros and cons list of do these things support what i'm aiming at accomplishing now because if i don't recognize that at the beginning then i'm constantly doing what Hippocrates says, which is like, if you, if the person that comes to you that is sick and they want to get better, but they're not willing to give up what made them sick in the first place, then I'm just, we're going to be spinning in circles here. And this is one of the things that I did whenever I taught yoga in prisons, which is we literally sat down and did a goal setting exercise at the end of one of our yoga sessions. And I taught them about identifying obstacles, foreseeing the things that might stop you in, a, in accomplishing what you set out to and planning ahead for that. You know, if, if you know that the holidays are coming up and you're definitely triggered by your, your parents or, or the food around you or whatever, or alcohol or drugs, like you need to have some sort of strategy because if you don't pre-contemplate that and get yourself into the right mindset going into it, and you will find yourself vulnerable to the influences of the things that would normally trigger a behavior that's not ideal. So it's like, find someone that's further ahead, find the things that you're willing to do every day and do them every day and don't make excuses because the only excuses that you're giving yourself are really just shortchanging you in the long run. And then the third thing is like, have a plan in the case that things start to get derailed and know that every day is an opportunity to start over. That shouldn't be an excuse to just mess everything up constantly and just like validate the fact that, you know, oh, tomorrow, but like, it's like to, to shame yourself, to like get stuck in the shame cycle, that doesn't serve anybody either. So it's like a navigation on like all those different levels that will really help you succeed and maintain and, and be able to add more onto that. Like the, the post that you're talking about with my daily ritual, my daily practice, like that took time. That took years. I had to go to India in the Himalayas for like three months with Zoran and like live in, in an ashram before I started doing a daily yoga practice. And I was like 24 years old at the time, I believe. And um, 
but you know, it's just, it took time, but I recognized eventually what consistency meant. And man, my life is so awesome. I love my life. And it's because of the consistent gratitude, the consistent desire to make myself feel better, the consistent love I show myself, like gratitude, I feel like is the number four thing I would recommend is like, be so grateful that it's obnoxious. Like I constantly am looking for things in my immediate area. Oh, wow, that chair is beautiful. I'm so grateful that chair is here. I'm going to sit in that chair. Wow, I feel so good right now. I'm so grateful for the comfort in my body. Because man, when you don't have comfort in your body and you feel like you're trapped, that's a crazy feeling. Like I've been trapped in my body with like 10 out of 10 excruciating pain in my back that I thought I was going to die from. And I just, you know, you hope that no one has to get there to realize how valuable health is, but like you really don't understand health until you don't have it or until it's so possibly jeopardized, like right now, which is like, well, what if I get sick and die? Then you realize the value of it. And it's like, maybe that's just how humans are right now and will evolve eventually to be more proactive and not have to learn the hard way. But maybe that's also a karmic thing that's built into the evolutionary conscious timeline that we need to go through in order to calibrate and up-level the conscious vibration of the universe. I don't know. There's always a <laughs> asterisk next to everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder about the difference. You know, I'm sure you had some hard, dark times and, and you know, you're on the other side of that now and, and you've made some choices around how to be with what was hard. That, that has you where you are. Not everyone makes those choices. Some people go down that dark road and, and don't come back. Uh, is there anything you could say about how to, how to make that change if things feel hopeless or you feel helpless or it just feels like it's not worth it and it's never going to work out? Like There's just a lot of that. I, I feel it. I see it. I read it. Um, and while it's not the whole story, I think for some people it feels like the whole story. So is there anything you could share that, that might help someone that's, that's in that place of, of having trouble seeing the gratitude? Oh, yeah. Um, I think not to, like, to make it reliant on external things, but it, there is always someone's situation. And again, it's not to just compare, but there's always someone's situation that is you could perceive as being worse than yours. Like whenever I'm in my class, I regularly bring up the fact that be grateful you can feel your toes. There is someone in a wheelchair right now that would, that would be the biggest miracle of their entire life if they could just feel their toes for a second. And you start to get this new perspective whenever you realize like how valuable a normal functioning body is, even just a slightly functioning body. Um, my aunt, for example, has chronic fatigue syndrome and has for years. And it's one of the most mysterious conditions in the medical realm right now. She just doesn't have energy. Imagine if you just woke up and you were too exhausted to open your own eyes. Like that's, that's pretty profound. And um, it's just like, you know, unfortunately, like sometimes it needs to, to take that comparative measure to recognize like the baseline functionality of your body is an absolute miracle and you might need to hear it from somebody. But um, there's always just a way to recognize that there is something to be grateful for. 
And once you find that gratitude and you enhance and feed into that consistently, going back to the same message, um, that will get you out of almost anything because it's always our perspective. It's always the perspective of what is happening. That is really what the reality of that is for what that is for you. You know, if your perspective of your situation right now, man, you're a healthy, good looking, articulate person, you're sitting in a nice home, you could find, you could do two things. You could be like, man, this isn't a mansion. I hate my life. Or you can like look around and just absolute bliss of the miracles surrounding you. And that's a decision that we are always making. Mm -hmm. And if you have chronically been in a place where you are depressed, upset, angry, anxious, like frustrated with what's happening, you have a neurological pathway that has been fed into over time. You consistently fed that negative stimulus to yourself long enough for your actual structural neurology. That means like the, the nerves in your brains, the, the little brain cells have actually geared themselves to where they are primed for negative experience. You have now the option to start shifting the energy into a different direction. Any point you can make that shift. It will take time, kind of like the 30 days to make a habit. The reason why is because it takes 30 days for these neuronal pools to start shifting over and the neurotransmitters to start flowing in this pathway instead of this pathway. And whenever you decide that for yourself, that I'm going to reclaim my power, I'm going to find the way to shift my perspective to where it is not constantly feeding this negative input to myself, I'm going to shift the narrative. That's the first day in the moment where you reclaim your sovereignty over your emotional state, over your psychological state. And if it gets to the point where you are so mentally unwell to where you can't do that, that is whenever you definitely need support. I mean, you need to support all the time. I have a therapist. Like, find professionals that can support you in a way that can get you out of the hole. Because sometimes it takes someone reaching down and grabbing you and getting you out of it to really get you to where your baseline again, to where you can make those decisions. And that's, again, to shine light on the perspective that not everyone is in a place where they're financially stable, where they are, feel safe in their homes. Like there are some really traumatic situations that are people's norm. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. But like, again, I, it always goes back to what can you control? And how can you start to feed more into that and expand your capacity to bring in more things that I can control? And you know what I mean? It's just start incremental. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that your message is consistency and that it's about starting with the, the simple accessible things, which again, it, it's so obvious. It's so clear that that really works. And, and again, I think we have to see how we've been in our own way to really see the opportunity of change. There are things out there outside of our control, but, but the, the small, simple things consistently tended to, that's where it's at. And, and, then, and then you can put more, like you said, it's just like building a, a house, the foundation first. And when that's really there, wow, you can, you can go somewhere with the building of the house. But if the foundation isn't there, like forget about it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and honestly, speaking of foundation, like if anyone wants a solid read to get them finite, like foundationally attuned with something that could really help them, like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle 
like reset my whole reality mm-hmm. and that the new earth is the same thing um, by Eckhart Tolle as well. And um, man, it's just like, no matter what point you decide to make these changes and, and whatever you want to build on a foundation, like if your foundation isn't grounded in like just a presence that is just continually looking at the world as if it was just being created, that you are just being divinely incarnated and you can't somehow just tune into that. Just as even if it's in the background, you, you are building a mansion on a very shaky structure because whenever you look down at your core values, your core beliefs, everything is built on something called an axiom. And an axiom is a term in mathematics that it's like, you have to assume that we can count before we can do math and that things are quantifiable. That's just a belief that we have to have in order to just start somewhere. And if you go back and trace back all of your decisions, all of your beliefs, all your things that you always held dear and trace them back to the foundational axiom, the assumption that you made in order to build up your reality, you might find that axiom doesn't really even serve you. Like what, what happens whenever your entire reality was built off of something that was just not true? Or even if it's not true, because who's to say what's true? Like it's not even that good of an axiom. It's not even that good of a foundational like thing. It doesn't even make me feel good. So wh- why would you keep it? And like, but that's the scary thing is that people have been a certain way for so long and they've been basing everything off of this one thing and like that's that was their foundation but it was built off of nothing it just has no substance to it and that's whenever spirituality or the exploration of like who am i what is this experience called reality and like to what degree am i participating in this and what am i am i orchestrating this you know it's those questions inevitably need to be asked to get to those deeper levels and that's where it's kind of, you know, you have to be very careful as someone trying to guide someone there because you don't want to think that, you know, you're trying to enforce some dogma on them. But it's like, that's why I love Muji, <clears throat> a beautiful spiritual teacher. Um, he just will ask you questions until you arrive there yourself. And um, if you can ask yourself into a place where you question everything for a moment, then you can finally let go of control and surrender. And that's whenever the real healing starts because you just like let go. Like you don't have to just frantically hold on to everything. And like, I had to almost die to realize that. (laughs) And, uh, but again, not everyone has to get to that point or hit rock bottom or have like their family, like leave them or whatever. There's, there's opportunities every moment to reclaim and restart. And that's why it's so lovely just being able to exist in this world it's so exciting and thrilling and it is it's like you have a moment everything is a miracle or everything is not a miracle it's one or the other and you get to decide so like why not make it everything a miracle because there's no evidence to support either way more probably for the miracle than not i would say so (laughs) i it, it it's it's staggering to me what life is and what it can be and uh and that's not uh some altruistic warm fuzzy idea that that's not me saying that it's all roses and sunshine uh it it's dark sometimes it's painful sometimes and it's full of magic and beauty and in some ways not in spite of the darkness but because of it 
So, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, when we can include the full spectrum of life and existence as the miracle, then we start to engage life as a, a real opportunity taker of life versus what most of us have been taught to do, which is pick and choose. I like this stuff. I don't like that stuff. I like these people. I don't like those people. I like it when this happens. I don't like it when that happens. And we've basically just turned life into a, a never ending dichotomy where there's a right choice and a wrong choice. And there's no real creativity. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no magic. It's just good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah. No, and it's, uh, again, like just to kind of point towards Muji, he'll articulate it way better than I can, but there, if you really want to just get to the baseline of like getting people to ask themselves the real question, it's like, who is observing all of this? Who, who's, who is there in the, in the captain's chair that is literally delineating these labels where like, who's witnessing the, the observation of the emotions coming up? Is there like, cause there is a horizon of which like these, there's things arising from somewhere. And if you can go to the, the point source at which things arise from and observe it there, and then even observe your ability to observe it, it sounds pretty meta, but it really does get you to a point where you start to like realize that, wow, there's something, if there's something that is consistently watching what comes and goes, then that means there's something consistent about me that is observing that is that thing that is consistent within me that will remain beyond the things that come and go like as a metaphor would be like you're the blue sky and there's just clouds passing through you but you're always the blue sky what does it mean to step back and operate from that point of origin that state of consciousness because if you can continue to create distance with your with you as your perception of who you are and the transience of life, which is the emotions, the fears, the, the things that are always going to be unstable and shaky and always changing, then you can reside in what's true, which is you are essentially an expression of, of the creative force of the universe. And it's not in any way that it's trying to be spiritual. It's like, I have studied the body pretty damn thoroughly. I've dissected so many bodies and looked at these things and, and saw that there was something not in this body. And then we dissect it and it's made up of trillions of cells, mostly bacteria and viruses, by the way. So you're really composed of a lot of strangers, if you will, that have decided to all cooperate together. And there is some sort of force that is keeping every cell nourished, everything balanced and all these things going. And there's something called your autonomic nervous system, which is literally running without anything that you're doing. It's just going. So what is it that's running everything? Like, what is that force? What is that entity? What is the energy that's, that composes the orchestration of all of these things? Can you, can you get close enough to that or see that your perception of you is just blocking you from that because it's innately who you are? And then have that as your foundation. Because if that's your foundation, man, you are unshakable. There's nothing that can stop you because like you are just, you're, you're totally like, all right, this is just me too. So I can kind of go from there and, and everything's a little bit lighter because it's, I'm not totally just, I'm not attached to what's happening. I can engage and play with it and like 
do as much as I want and like get caught up in the, in the play, so to speak. But I know I'm an actor wearing a mask and I can take it off any time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that what you're saying is, I mean, it might miss some people and that's okay. Uh, yeah. But, but for the people, <laughs> for the people that can get it. And, and I like that you directed people towards Eckhart Tolle. I think he, he does a, a brilliant job of, of bringing these very potentially heady and, and inaccessible concepts into like a, just a real tangible way of holding and seeing things. But it, it, it is what we know when we're clear. It, well, all of what you're speaking about is anyone who's had a, a really good meditation or they've been in a flow state or they've had a near-death experience and something was revealed to them about the nature of reality, maybe a psychedelic experience. These experiences of a kind of presence and a kind of interconnectivity and a oneness and a meaning are far too ubiquitous for them to be just sort of random chance or, or, you know, like some kind of strange idea. It, it is an underlying truth for me. There's just no question. And, and then a question can come of, okay, well, how to tune in or access and, and you've been pointing to it, the whole conversation, which is listening. We have to actually first be willing to listen and not, not project or preconceive what it is that we're listening to or what it is that we're going to hear when we listen. And that space, which for me is much more accurate to describe ourselves as a kind of space within which life unfolds. When we're listening, that space becomes ripe. It becomes kind of pregnant with the real possibility of what we're here to do and be. And I love that when we really dissect, when we get into the, the most essential aspects of the physical world that we still have no idea what animates it, but it's clear that something is intelligently holding it and informing it. it it's all happening in a, a very particular way. So to me, it's, it's heartening and inspiring. And, and I love it when like you, I love it when people are integrating, they're pulling, they're not, they're not like, staying separate from science because it interferes with their spiritual sensibilities. You know, it's like, it's all integrated. It's, it's a part of a whole. And if you can't find the interconnectivity or the integration, uh, I would say it's really just because you're holding a position that is making something right and wrong. It actually all fits together. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like, uh, and that's kind of where I always find myself slightly out of the, uh, like I'm always the black sheep in whatever group I'm in because most people tend to skew one way or the other. And, um, and I think it's beautiful because again, play your part, do whatever you want, like it's your experience, but also like you can't be grounded and then like, you know, be able to explore these like spiritual etherical concepts and then you can't be spiritual and etherical without like, being able to like take the science and look at new evidence and because I mean science is just our observations that have been tried to refine the process of saying what's causing things like the causational scale of like x plus y equals z and we've isolated the variables and we've done like a very specific method to to decrease the amount of bias in whatever we're doing and it's like that's the whole thing is bias is like so prevalent in our life and um, if it might be another thing for another time, but like there is a hierarchy of evidence that people don't understand. And the bottom, bottom, bottom level of the pyramid is, is expert opinion. And 
whenever you realize that experts are at the bottom of the totem pole, you remember that people are just people that are biased in whatever they're learning and they might have an incredible amount of experience. But that's why structures of studies like case studies, moving on to case series, which is consolidation of those, getting up into meta-analysis, which is like a, literally a distillation of all the best studies out there to make one statement that might be like the least biased thing, but still possibly biased. You start to realize that like, that's, that's just a way of navigating information. It's not a bad thing. It's just a system. And people get really attached to that system and think it's flawless, but it's not. It's constantly aiming to prove itself wrong. That's why it is a beautiful system. And if you can bring a mindful approach into doing scientific research, then like that's the union of all time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that like I try to kind of express when it comes down to like what you're talking about getting down to the minutia is and this slow me down if it's getting too much, but uh, basically in your brain, you know, you have all these neurons, right? Neurons are your brain cells. In order for a signal to be sent down a neuron, which is basically this, this cell body right here. So just think of this little body here that's got these arms reaching out to grab onto another one. And that's the synapse, which is the connection between these different brain cells, which can lead up to a response or an action. <clears throat> whenever that is happening, that signal is being sent, if you were to zoom in on the, the, the membrane, the very outer edges of that arm reaching out, what dictates if a signal is sent or not is the, the electrical charge on the surface of the cellular membrane. And what that means is that at a resting point, at any given point, if, some, if a neuron is not activated, it's resting around like negative 70 millivolts, which means it has like a negative charge. What it needs to do is that it gets up to a negative 55, which means it becomes more positive. And then there's something called an action potential, which fires the signal down the arm to reach the other neuron and activate that. What that positive and negative charge is dictated by is potassium and sodium. And the dance of those two molecules dictates your entire experience. It's crazy. If you were just to like, like take away all the layers of what a person is and you were like an alien, you're just like, what are these things dictated by? It's like the dance of these two molecules going up and down, in and out, over and over again. And it's the consolidation of all of those cumulative effects that is like gearing and essentially creating your experience on a physical level. That's like the most elemental thing we can observe of what like neural activity is. So if you can make your sodium and potassium dance just in the right way, you can shift it and you can make it anything you want to because essentially you are the one that make it, that's making them dance in the first place. And like that tripped me out whenever I realized that because it's like, what are these two elements doing in our heads and dancing ever so gracefully to make what is what is? And um, yeah, I don't know, man. That kind of put me through a rabbit hole in itself. But, yeah. <laughs> I just I just lost your audio there. It got a bit funny, so I don't know if anything's covering the microphone. Maybe. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. You're good. So, I mean, we've gone some different places. I love, I love the, the precision that you're speaking about physiology right now. Um, I hope it's uh, interesting and valuable to the listeners because um, 
it makes me think when I'm really letting in, cause I did anatomy and physiology for a few years in school. And it, it, it made me think about like, what am I when you get into the minutia of, of anatomy and physiology and you see the complexity and you see the staggering amount of functions that are occurring every moment so that this body, this form can function in, in the world. It, it's, it's mind boggling. And for me, when, when I'm honest in it, there's just sort of an awe. There's a, there's a curious awe of, wow, what is it really about? Like, what are we, what are we really doing here? All of this complexity and for what? And, and, and I think maybe we'll leave that question and just as like a, take it with you. But, but what I wanted to kind of tie up with is for you with the Cairo yoga and this body of work that you're creating, do you have a vision for it? Is there, is there something that you're really looking to do or create with the work that you're up to? And, and then I'd love for you to share about how people can kind of get in touch and, and, and stay in touch with you. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, the ultimate goal, which is kind of what started this, is that I am building myself up through, you know, becoming a doctor of chiropractic here shortly, through, you know, being a 500-hour yoga teacher, and then eventually going to acupuncture to get my master's or possibly doctorate in, in oriental and Chinese medicine. <clears throat> which is, you know, acupuncture, herbology, all those things. Um, I'm building a holistic healing center one day, which is the embodiment of all the things that I feel like should be in a supportive healthcare system. And that includes psychology and therapy. That includes nutrition. That includes, you know, the medical Western side of being able to do procedures when necessary, the chiropractic, massage, all those things. So eventually it's building itself up to be that. One of the things that I do want to implement is that with the cost of paying for your first visit, you're paying for a tree to be planted. And I want to hopefully make a coalition of practitioners around the world that are doing that. So we just make that a part of how humans do business is that we're always investing back in nature. Um, because the whole reason why I started this is because I felt like every generation has its calling and mine is to serve the environment. And it starts with the internal pollution that reflects externally. And we have to address those obstacles, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and communal. And so eventually I'll have a center. Um, but right now I'm building the Cairo Yoga website up, which is hopefully launched by the end of the year, which will have not only Cairo Yoga classes and all that kind of stuff, but educational lectures. We're going to have a, like a shop on there for you to buy supplements that I truly believe in that are third-party tested, certified, pure, organic, everything like that. There's going to be different programs in there for low back pain, for women's health, et cetera. Um, you can, in the meanwhile, we just started a Yo uh, Cairo Yoga YouTube channel, which is just free offerings for people until we build up the website. And so you can always follow me at right now, it's at mrchiroyoga.com, or sorry, not .com, <laughs> Mr. Cairo Yoga, MR period, C-H-I-R-O-Y-O-G-A, soon to be Dr. Cairo Yoga. Um, as soon as I can take my boards and return back to normal. Um, yeah, and then you can always reach out to me on there and Facebook and really wherever you can find me, I'm always open and available to, to connect. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Actually, though, I would like to get into um, 
if there's a conversation in your life, the, the, the podcast is called Conversations for Change, and I want the conversations we have on here to be supportive of that, but I'm also curious about conversations in people's lives that, that made a difference, and, and maybe the listeners can start to uh, pull the, the common threads of what those kinds of conversations are about or, or how and why they happen so that we can start to have more of these kinds of conver- uh, transformational conversations. So is there a, a conversation in your life that stands out for you around, yeah, just changed things for you, changed your trajectory? Totally. I have two very brief ones that I'll give you because I don't think we have too much time left. One was a, an external conversation with my guru in India in the ashram. Um, so his name is Yoga Rishi Vishvaketu. If anyone, people message me all the time, where should I go do my yoga teacher training? Go there to the Anand Prakash Ashram. Look up the akhandayoga.com, A-K-H-A-N-D-A.com. Um, he's just an incredible embodiment of what I could only express as like just true yogic bliss. Amazing person. And um, I just, it was such a small thing that he said, but it just stood out to me so profoundly. But it was like, almost like we were walking out of the room after doing a philosophy talk that day. And he just said that like, your body is the transmitter and receiver of signals to the universe. And whenever you really think about what that means, it's like, First of all, yoga is almost like, you know, in PlayStation, like whenever you used to put all those cheat codes in like triangle, square, circle, circle, X, and like, and then you get like unlimited money or, or power and whatever video, like yoga to me is you doing cheat codes. It's like triangle, square, warrior two. And like, you're, you're doing all these things and it's, you're sending a signal to the universe that's like, I'm ready for for an upgrade. I'm ready for like the download. I'm ready for for whatever wisdom is to come through this practice. Like I am the vessel that is reinforcing my energetic capacity to receive and then also extend my ability to send out the signal. And that was just like, that's again, coming back to the consistency is just like, what is the language of, of, of what we're in? If the language of the body is consistency, and I consistently show up for myself, that's reiterating a language of, I care about myself. What if I want something to manifest? Well, if you can't manifest yourself doing something every day, do you really think you're going to manifest these big, wild, and crazy dreams that are outside of your immediate control? It starts with your microcosm and then reflects into the macro. So send your signals very specifically and deliberately and you will see exactly what you want manifest. Like it's crazy. And I know you know this, so I don't have to convince you, but like when you start doing it, it is like immediate, right? When you ask for something, it comes to you and it's not in a woo wooey way. Like I've tested over and over again. So like him saying that your body is the center and receiver of the signals, like that was powerful. It made me realize that I have a, an opportunity with this beautiful technology that is me to dictate whatever signals I'm sending and receiving. And then the other one, which is, again, a whole other rabbit hole, but I'll just leave it at the surface of a, a cliffhanger, which is whenever I had the opportunity to participate in an ayahuasca ceremony in the Amazon rainforest, um, it was something I waited five years and felt like it was really aligned with who I am and what I was doing and, you know, Granted, my history with my brain injury was like always something I was unsure of. 
And there was a lot in that experience that was profoundly beautiful and I'm still processing it. But the one thing that really just was like the mantra that came out of it was like, there was a point where I was brought back into my mother's womb and I felt my mother's heartbeat above my head. I felt the safety of being in a womb and I felt the love that was feeding me, that was growing me. And whenever I felt that, like there was, there's been a lot of like healing with my mother and I's relationship over the years. And like, that was like the reconnection of realizing that innately there was only two things that are primarily who you are. And it's the feeling of being safe and loved because that's how you came in this world. You were safe in the womb. You were fed with love and your body is the womb for your soul. And it's, you are safe in your body. You're home in your body and you can continue to feed love into that soul of yours to just make it thrive and just go to places you could have never imagined. And so whenever I start to feel unsure of myself or scared, like especially when this pandemic happens, I was in the, the ground zero in the Bay Area and it was the first shelter in place in the US and like it was scary. And I called back to myself, who am I? I'm safety and I'm love. That's my primal essence. Everything else can like float on the surface, can be the cloud passing by, but those are my two physical things that actually make up my cellular matrix of those feelings of innately knowing that that's my, that's just who I am. I'm safety, I'm loved, I'm a signal. I'm also sending the signal and that's the signal I'll continue to send until I just fizzle out into, you know, some cosmic dust of sorts. So let's have that be the beginning of our next conversation. We can start there. Sounds great, man. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate you making the time and what you brought to the table and, and what you're sharing and what you're doing with your energy and your resources. It's, it's beautiful. And uh, I, I really look forward to, to more on whatever level that ends up happening. Uh, for people that are listening to the podcast, links to, to get a hold of uh, Brandon and his work are going to be in the description. So you can check him out there. And uh, we look forward to having you back soon. Perfect. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. I hope it all settles in the right way. And um, if you have any questions, like feel free to find me on any of the social medias and just reach out. I'm, I'm always open to connect and help and guide others and support people on their journeys. Right on, man. Thanks, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Take it easy. You too, man. You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper.